Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Penn State College Democast. My name is Tom Sarabach. I'm the Executive Vice President of the Penn State College Democrats. And today I'm joined by Avil, who is our treasurer and an absolutely extremely special guest, the most special guest we've ever had before, U.S. Congressional candidate in the 12th, 12th, 12th District, Mark Friedenberg. Salute. Before we continue, in my head, there's always applause. Maybe yeah. you can edit some applause in. Uh, that sounds like a lot of work on my end. But I think it's worth it. Okay. Um, Making a doubtful face. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to give a couple quick shout-outs before we get into it. I want to give a shout-out to our president, Katie Rose Epstein, KR. She was recently, like just moments ago, this is on Thursday at 1.07 p.m., um, added to the homecoming court. So shout-out to her. We're so proud of her. Ooh, there's some clapping there for Snap. And I want to give a shout out to our comms chair, Josh Weissman, who couldn't be here today because he has a job interview at 2 p.m. We know you're going to kill it. He's going to communicate effectively as the comms chair. Uh, let's snap for that. And then our final shout out, I want to give a shout out to our fundraising slash finance chair, Rachel Schuchman. I pronounced her, say her last name, Rodeo. Schuchman. Schuchman. She was confirmed to the Judicial Board of the University Park Undergraduate Association, which is Penn State Student Government, which is a big deal. O'Neill sits on it, but it snaps. Woo! Okay, enough, enough positive stuff. Um, so, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm on top of the world. How are you guys? Not that good, but pretty good. Everything's happening at once, and it's great. Or bad. It could be bad soon. Um, but yeah. So I'd love to hear, Mark, about um, kind of your background and what led you to your current status as a U.S. congressional candidate. Yeah, uh, so I, uh, I teach at Penn State. That's my day job. I teach in our College of Information Sciences and Technology. And uh, I'm a Penn State grad, a Columbia Law grad. I practice law in New York, suing the big banks that caused the financial crisis just about 10 years ago that we're still recovering from that I think really changed our, our politics in a lot of ways. Uh, but I always loved Penn State, and so when there was a chance to come back here to, to teach, uh, I jumped at it. This is my uh, seventh year now. Time really does fly. And uh, over the past year and a half or so, maybe beginning maybe around November 2016, uh, realized that things weren't going so well on a national political level. And I wasn't uh, truly never planned on running for office, but the... Um, the way things are going, especially with healthcare, and just an attempt to take away everything that's good about the way that we help Americans pay for healthcare, showed that the system is broken. It's not a matter of disagreement about how to help people better. I think there's one party that wants to help people and another that doesn't. And so I decided to throw my, my hat into the ring, and it has been a blast. And one of the things I wanted to really emphasize to listeners, if, especially younger ones, is that uh, don't be... Don't be shy and don't be afraid about running for office. Uh, they can do it. You can do it. And you should do it because there are a lot of, I think, really normal, which is important, and smart and hardworking people who think that campaigning is for somebody else. Uh, and that is a filter that we don't need. Uh, we need normal, good, smart people running for yeah. office. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on everything you said so far. Um, the one thing I definitely agree with, too, I always kind of say this where, I think people criticize the Democratic Party a lot, and they have a right to, and I think they should because criticism makes it better. But at this point in American history, I feel like there's only one party that truly cares about making things better for the common man, and the other party, which is the Republican Party, has completely given up on that. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that that's 
that's a divide between the the Republican voters and the Republican elected yeah, officials. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And and that's I mean, well, I'm sure we'll talk about how the campaign is going, but you know, that's what I try to to communicate to voters is that you know this isn't what you voted for. Yeah. Uh, this is it's the opposite. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, you're 100 percent right. Where it, it's the electorate, the people that are elected officials, totally swaying from what they ran on, from the values they're going across, and like. I think a good example right now, so governor, candidate for governor, Scott Wagner, is kind of doing this active campaign things where he's going to a lot of urban areas and he's filming, he's making it look like he's having conversations with these people. But if you actually look at his policies and what he looked and values, even in his own personal life as like the head of a garbage company, garbage company yeah. like he completely is like attacking the column man all the time. He's trying to like make them have no money, doesn't want any unions, that sort of thing. So it's like- Doesn't want his employees to, or the public to know how much he's- Earned how much yeah, he's exactly. worth. Yeah, exactly. Pretends to go for the collar man. I think that's really uh, worrying. Mm-hmm. I've always noted that as the biggest disconnect between everyday Republicans in my family, my friends, people I know, and the people I see on TV who they're voting for. And I feel like they don't. Un- they might know that there's a disconnect, but they're worried about what Democrats might do. So they think, you know, even if this guy doesn't do everything that he says he's going to do, it would be better than a Democrat. But then, you know, if they actually take more time, and I'm sure, Mark, that you've seen this on the campaign trail, if they take more time to look into what the Democrats are supporting, then they find out that that aligns more with their values. Yeah. And I think that one of the ways that you see that reinforced is look at who's donating to each party. You know, there's exceptions on both sides. But, you know, in my race, my campaign donors are truly they're people that I know or, you know, people in the district who just want to help out a little bit. It's not companies. Uh, you look at Marino and it's it's the opposite. And not that, you know, if a, if a corporation gave me money, I, I believe that it would not influence my thinking. But I'm taking away that chance by saying preemptively I wouldn't take the money. And I think that it's it's inevitable when you look at Marino's donors and then his voting record that he's not acting in the interests of constituents but of his donors. And to clarify, um, U.S. Representative Tom Marino is Mark's opponent in this race. He has been in Congress for quite some time now, and at least in our opinion, has not done a very good job of it. But some we'll pe- get to that later. Yeah, some call him crooked Tom. It's <laughs> name calling. <laughs> I think we're, this is the last thing I'm going to say about Tom for now, but I would say the, the most telling thing is that he was put up for like drug czar, so head of the DEA. Is that the within the White House, the kind of the the coordinator of the White House policy on drugs. Yeah. yeah, and he was rejected from the position. So if you think about all the unqualified people that are in White House federal positions right now, he was still not qualified, even compared to them, and because he was like too involved with like pharmaceutical company and companies pushing like opioids. It was bad is, optics. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, so on a more positive note, I'd love to hear more about your specific policy, kind of what you want to do to change. Yeah. Things. Well, so I have... Uh, I mean, my overall philosophy doesn't sound all that groundbreaking, but I think we've gone a really far way away from it, which is that there's a, um, I think as, as an American, you've basically won the lottery uh, in terms of history. To be an American in the 21st century, you've won the lottery in terms of place and time, uh, that you're in this incredibly wealthy country that can afford to make sure that every American has quality health care and education, an environment that works for them. That they, if uh, you know, that there's a job there, or at least that if they work hard in their job, that they'll be able to get a fair day's pay, and that has been broken. And that starts, 
you know, early on in somebody's life, depending on the, the zip code where they're born, uh, they uh, are more or less likely to get a good education and have all these other opportunities that follow from it. And, you know, we're recording on Penn State's campus. We're surrounded by people now. A lot of them worked really hard to, to get here, and a lot of them have parents who worked really hard to get them here. But so much is lined up for them already that there is the opportunities that they've had are so much more than opportunities that other people have had. And so I would like to make sure that we lift everybody up to get the same equality of opportunity, not, not of outcome. And I think the, one of the main ways that we can do that and that America is sadly falling behind the rest of the world is in healthcare, and so I support Medicare for all, which is truly the same opportunity for everybody that you're going to get access to the same quality of care at the same price that everybody else does, and it's going to save us money, and it's the moral thing to do. Yeah, and what what would you say? I'm going to be a little hard hitting here. What would you say to people that criticize Medicare for all for being like a negative and socialism is going to decrease quality of care? Those sort of like stereotypical insults towards it. Well, you know, it's funny. If you look at two groups and how they support or oppose Medicare for all, um, the uh, the insurance industry and pharmaceutical industry, uh, they oppose it because it's going to cut into their profits because that's one of the things that Medicare for all can do is to lower costs per patient. And groups that tend to support it are doctors. And they support it because they know that they're going to be able to get care for their patients and people who haven't even been able to be their patients yet. And so it is a model that has worked uh, not all around the world, but in, in countries that have done it, it's worked really, really well. Uh, similar programs, at least, not Medicare per se. Uh, and it is a way to make sure that people aren't tied to their jobs, that if they get sick and then they lose their job, they lose their health insurance too. Uh, we have 30% of the adults in Pennsylvania's 12th congressional district who have medical debt in collection. It is not sustainable. Medicare has a history as being sustainable. And on top of that, right now, Medicare covers what are usually the sickest people, older Americans. Uh, and we're going to expand it to cover healthier people. So the risk pool is going to get bigger, but healthier. Yeah, and I definitely agree. And I think when it comes to, so I'll bring up a couple points here. The first thing I'll say on like an anecdotal note, my father's like somebody who's a hospital administrator who's been doing it for 20 years. And he sees so much potential in that as like a medical service. And he's one of the people that's on the inside of the industry that definitely agrees. But insurance and companies, on the other hand, are the ones that are making it difficult. And I think a great example of this, even within the Democratic Party, is in, and this was brought up a lot in the media, in the Michigan Democratic primary, um, in the governor's race, um, Gretchen Whitmer won um, significantly over someone named Abdul El-Sayed. I might have mispronounced that. But the major difference between the two candidates is that Abdul supported Medicare for All and supported kind of a more inclusive healthcare service for across the United States, while Gretchen was more of a moderate. And you saw in the donation pool, like thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars coming from specifically insurance companies because they know it's going to hurt them financially if this Medicare for all comes into play. They don't care about what happens to the average man. They care about their profits. Yeah, absolutely. And when I look at, at this district, like it, it'll be my job to do, uh, this is a district that is not filled with um, insurance companies and, and rich people. Uh, and this is filled with uh, people who are going to benefit. And it's it's a, it's a slam dunk for this district. I've been for it from, from day one, and um, you know, I'm getting favorable responses from every kind of demographic of, of voter for it. So on a related note, what types of issues when you go across a district crop up the most? What do people ask you about the most? What are they most enthusiastic about talking about? A, a couple sort of um, almost meta issues or uh, issues about 
civic rights and engagement come up a lot. So a lot of people want to talk about campaign finance reform, uh, term limits they want to talk about, and the Electoral College a lot. And I wasn't expecting that. I was, no. you know, early on I thought we would talk about healthcare and education. So, you know, I, I, I listen to that and I respect it. And so on, on campaign finance reform, uh, you know, I, I agree that with what voters are asking. They're not asking to loosen the laws, right? They're asking to tighten them up. Uh, I've already pledged to support a, a constitutional amendment. It would be the 28th for college students listening that would uh, overturn uh, Citizens United essentially uh, to take away unlimited corporate donations. Um, people with regard to term limits, uh, you know, they think that congressmen get in office and, and they stay too long and they get influenced and they um, get uh, get corrupted by by Washington. You know, I think that the the two year election cycle, my opinion, I haven't been persuaded yet that we need a constitutional amendment, which is what it would require for term limits. I, I think the voters get a say every two years. And so if they think somebody stayed too long, uh, they, they can vote them out. So I, um, you know, that, that's, that's my view on that. Um, for the uh, Supreme Court, though, we could talk about that. I think we might be, we might need oh. to change some of the lifetime appointment. Um, the, uh, the other issue is about the, uh, the Electoral College. And and that's a complicated one, but you know, especially for Democrats, you know, twice in 16 years we have a minority president uh, putting in place extremely unpopular federal court uh, judges, even though they won a minority of votes in in the House and Senate. Uh, and so it's sort of the tyranny of the minority right now. And so I think that you know the electoral college, I, I'm I'm buoyed by the state efforts to create a compact. If there are enough electoral votes. If the states teamed up and said whoever the winner of the national popular vote is, we'll give our electors to that um, to that candidate. Oh, okay. That's something that I would support, and it doesn't require a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. you know, the thing I think that you've mentioned about Supreme Court justices and judges in general is that the idea of like lifetime appointments, in theory, is that it's supposed to make sure people don't get corrupted and all these things don't have to run for re-election. But what actually happens is. Because of the way, I guess it started from like the start of America when you just had all these judges around the same age get appointed all at once, is that you have presidencies like Donald Trump's or like Ronald Reagan, for example, or Richard Nixon before that, where they have the opportunity because of just the way people's lifetimes work to appoint like three or four justices or throughout their like four to eight years. So then you're really just voting. And then that person essentially has more of an impact instead of just being president for four to eight years their policies and their kind of ideological beliefs have such an impact on the American like constitution, everything for a super long time. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's a, um, to some extent I'm, I'm okay with that. It's the luck of the draw, but you know, there's clearly a race to keep appointing younger and younger judges. Oh, yeah. and it makes sense. If I were president, I would do that too. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they're in office for 40, 50 years, I mean, it, it just gets absurd to a point. So, you know, I kind of like it. It doesn't exactly apply because it's state versus federal and we don't have elections in the same way federally. But the Pennsylvania system of having a, a retention election every 10 years, like that makes sense. Like, let's check in and, you know, the odds are in favor. They'll be retained. But if somebody's gone off the rails, it's a, it's a chance to, to stop the train. Yeah. And another issue I have with lifetime appointments is that, you know, in general, I think in government, it should be our best and brightest. It should be people who have led mostly untarnished lives. You can have made a few mistakes there and there because we're all human. But, you know, you should not be somebody. You should be somebody who we would all be proud to have as our representative. And when you're appointing someone to the Supreme Court, which is a lifetime appointment, they should be even better. Like they should be as close to perfect as a human being can possibly get within reason. But we're not seeing that. 
at least not right now with the Kavanaugh. And we weren't just, seeing it in the past. And we weren't seeing it in the past. Either, that's Thomas true. or any of those people. Yeah. yeah. And again, everybody makes mistakes, but these are not mistakes that these men have been accused of making. So you can't say that lifetime appointments are okay when every single person you put up has some sort of deep issue like that that has ramifications for how they view half the population of the United States, how they're going to treat fellow justices, how they're going to treat people who work underneath them. You just can't do it. It's not fair. Well, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a matter of ideological purity. Like, you would you would support anybody, if you say you're a Republican, I think I, we're kind of seeing it, you would support anybody who, support, you know, who had been credibly accused of almost anything uh, to, say, overturn Roe, even though he claims that's not his plan. Uh, and it's a, a bastardization of how it's supposed to work. So... Um, obviously, so I, I've said this before, but I think you're the most ho- high-profile person we've ever had on the podcast, and it's crazy. I hope that changes. We're yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but at the moment, I mean, it's somebody, you're somebody that could be in, like, the halls of Congress in a few months. Um, so do you have any bills that you see right now that are kind of in committee or something that you would have the opportunity to vote on that you're kind of like, you're, uh, I don't know what the word is, I'm trying to think of, like, a word for hunger, but you're like... You're, you're jonesing. Yeah, you're jonesing to just get that vote in on... You know, I mean, I'm, not to be repetitive, I think Medicare for All is, is one of them. I think the, the political will is there, and there are bills introduced in, in both chambers, and I would be very, very happy to work on those. And, and something else that's not a vote, but that is just as important, is this laundry list of investigations that Democrats are going to have to run as soon as they get into office. And, uh, you know, in my legal career, I sat there and reviewed millions of pages of documents, and so I've got some experience with that. And I think in Congress, we're going to need to do that, too. Uh, for an executive branch, not just the president, but all of the agencies and the uh, sort of corrupt, petty, um, um, the uh, sort of enablers of the administration's agenda to put children in cages, to you know, cut um, really important protections by starving them, to have a um, a travel ban that was not thought through, that was just rushed through. Um, there, there's so much oversight to be done, and I think that is really, really important because it's, it's, you know, it's propping up again what the Constitution set out, which is checks and balances. Yeah, definitely. So I think maybe we can shift a little bit now to talking about your opponent, Representative Tom Marino. So what's the opposite of a snap? Of a snap? Oh, yeah, no snaps. Oh, no snaps for so I guess just uh, silence. Pans? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A straight face, like just a straight face, a shaking face. Yeah, shaking mm-hmm. your head a little bit. I'm not sure. Yeah. I have to think about that. Good question. Um, so tell us, you know, why you are, maybe this isn't the right word, but why you're glad that he might be your opponent or why you think he in particular shouldn't be in Congress anymore. Yeah, I think he's a uniquely unqualified individual to hold federal office. It's a, uh, I mean, if you look at his career path, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, he's left in disgrace from most of his jobs. So left in disgrace as district attorney in Lycoming County. Uh, resigned in disgrace as a U.S. attorney. Uh, he had, while he was U.S. attorney, and his office was investigating uh, somebody with at least mob ties, to put it charitably. Uh, Marino, at the same time, personally wrote a character reference for that person to get a gaming license uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, he resigned then when that became public, and you'll never guess where he went to work after that. Uh, he went to go work for that same person for whom he wrote a character reference. Uh, and then from there, straight to the U.S. Congress. That's the natural career path. And he, you know, and, you know, he was too corrupt for the Trump White House. And the 60 Minutes in the Washington Post, the reporting that they did about the uh, opioid crisis, his involvement in 
creating, sponsoring, well, he didn't write it, lobbyists did, but sponsoring the bill that made it impossible for the Department of Justice and the DEA to, to do their job. Um, when that was reported, uh, he, his name had to be withdrawn. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen anything from Tom Marino. Well, I haven't seen much of anything at all, but I haven't seen anything about what is he going to do for the people of this district. This is, it's, I don't want to be too simplistic, but this is a poor, old, sick district. Uh, this is a district that needs help from the federal government. And all I see is him trying to, you know, put up his hand and, and turn it away to cut programs that would help people in this district. I uh, am very eager to have a debate with him to try to get him to explain what he thinks it is that he stands for, because I don't know. Yeah. So along the topic of a debate, you've been pressing in the headlines, you've been seeking a debate. How, what is the search for that debate like at the moment? Right now, you know, it's, uh, I, I've heard nothing back. You know, I, you, you know, again, I have contact information for the campaign, no replies to my requests. Um, you know, the, for people who don't know, I, I don't think I knew much about this before I started running. The, the candidates and their campaigns don't really organize the debates, at least the way that we've done it. It's other groups like the League of Women Voters or a newspaper, something like that. Uh, they organize it. So they'll reach out to both of us. I'll usually reply right away, yes, because I think I... I'm very comfortable in a setting like that, and I think it's important for voters to be able to, to hear. And I'll hear, you know, a couple weeks later, well, we never heard from him, or he said no. And that's that's what it is now. And so I think that those reforms, like voting reforms, that people really care, they really care about debates, too, because it's he's a guy that's impossible to find. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't stand in front of people and tell them what you believe, then how are they, you know, how are they to make a decision? How can they you know, in good faith vote for you if you don't, if they don't know what you're all about. Oh yeah, and on a related note, you know, we've seen on the Democratic side over the last few months how important it is, even if you're an incumbent, to actually campaign when you're running for office. I believe in the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez case, her opponent in the primary, who was the incumbent, he barely campaigned at all, at least in comparison to her. He thought it wasn't assured when. And, um, you know, I've been helping out Mark's campaign for a number of months now, and one of my responsibilities is just checking up on Tom Marino, seeing if he's appearing in the headlines at all. And he's really not. He is not campaigning, at least not in the same way Mark is, going to all these fairs, going to all these events around the district in every part of the district, mind you, and it's a big one. He just is in hiding, more or less. He goes to an event once or twice a week, but it's not really a campaign one. It's more in his official capacity. It seems to be the same types of small events, local events, over, over and over. And he's not getting a lot of positive coverage. He's getting a lot of negative coverage, though, because the lack of debates and um, his past in the opioid crisis has really come to haunt him. Yeah, and I mean, if he thinks that he's entitled to this seat, I think he's he's going to be shocked. Uh, I hope for his sake and for the sake of voters that he's, you know, that he kind of drops the, the low stamina routine and, and starts getting to work. Yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of, I, I don't say funny or ironic, but it is to a degree that like, Obviously, it benefits you if he doesn't campaign because he's not out there. But at the same time, just for the sake of voters and for the sake of democracy, you want to see him put forth an effort to just kind of communicate to people and say, hey, you know, maybe like I have these issues, but here's what I stand for. But he's not doing that. And it's so it's disheartening as an American, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I want, you know, I, I do want him to campaign because I want there to be that gets attention from people. And I'm very comfortable with what I stand for and who I am stacked up next to whatever it is that he stands for. Yeah. So 
moving to campaigning, so could you give me uh, like an update of how things are coming along, kind of what you're seeing in the field, what your kind of reaction is when you're talking to people? Yeah, uh, things are going really well. There is a, uh, obviously there's a ton of enthusiasm that's been true for Democrats for a while, but I think what I'm seeing more now, really just in the, since Labor Day, I guess the traditionally sort of the unofficial start of the campaign season, um, that you know we have an office in downtown State College. Um, people just stop by now. Uh, sometimes people would never even heard of. They'll see the nice sign and they'll come in. Uh, sometimes they just want to vent about the state of the world, and sometimes we want to do that too. Uh, and sometimes they, while they're there, they'll offer to volunteer, and that's great. And by the way, if anybody's listening, 240 West Hamilton Avenue, come on by anytime, State College. Uh, right next to Wings Over Happy Valley, and that's, that's right, Fitness Row. Uh, and it's Fitness Row because we're it's between a bunch of like junk food places. We love those places. Oh, now, yeah. Respectfully. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them are surprisingly woke. I, I didn't realize. Um, so the uh, you know there are things that we're doing that uh, the traditional things like canvassing. Um, we're doing another big postcard campaign, handwritten postcard campaign to voters. Uh, phones. Uh, we do a lot of letters. We're getting really good at cranking out many thousands of letters uh, from within the campaign, and it, it's truly a grassroots effort, and, and I love it. It's been it's been a lot of fun um, meeting so many new people. The voters, you know, the the response is good. I think people appreciate you know showing up at their door. They appreciate a handwritten letter or just a letter at all to know that like. I respect them enough. You know, I, I want to earn their vote. Um, and if they're a Republican or if they live in an area you know, far from State College, uh, their their vote, their voice is just as important as anybody else's. Yeah. And I, w- I would say even as myself, like come, you're coming on this podcast and taking the time out of your day means a lot to me. And I think it shows like that it is truly grassroots. So you're talking to like students, you're talking to older people, you're talking to just everybody. And I think everyone really appreciates that. I think it's rare, like I said, from a U.S. congressional candidate, that's one of, I would say that's like, because you got governor and president are up there, like president and governor. Then you have like U.S. senator. The U.S. Congress is probably like number four of like the biggest elected offices in my mind, which is crazy to think about. There's a limited number of them throughout the entire country. You would be representing counties. And the fact that you're taking time out of your day just to talk to average people is so showing, I think, in terms of your candidacy. Well, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I really mean that it's, you know, you know, I, I want my campaign to do well, but I'm I'm really concerned about like, you know, I, I'm probably going to be supporting Democrats in the next X elections. I guess anything could happen. Uh, I, I want there to be an infrastructure in place. I want people to be engaged. I, I want people to not get disgusted with. That's the worst is if I knock on somebody's door and they say, oh, I don't vote anymore. Uh, they're just fed up with the whole thing. And and, you know, it's you can tell, you know, that this is the kind of person who could use help and they don't. They feel that they're, they're they feel hopeless, and and that is a damn shame. And uh, you know, I'll still I'll still help them, um, but I'm yeah. gonna have to get an office to do it. And I want people to realize that this is something that uh, you don't have to know anybody, you don't have to be born into it, you don't have to be rich. Uh, you can either run for office or get involved with the campaign. My campaign is all people who have not done this before, <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens on election day. But I think we've we've blocked and tackled really well, and I think we have a good strategy. Yeah. Definitely. Um, things are looking exciting. Um, so do you have anybody, this is a fun question, do you have anybody in Congress, if you get there, if you sit down, that you really want to meet and be like, hang out with them? <laughs> anybody you want to chill with in Congress? Uh, 
Not to get too fantastical here. Ted Liu in California. Uh, he's another uh, geek, uh, you know, IT kind of guy, uh, and a veteran and a brilliant man. Uh, uh, but he's some, he's one of my favorite Twitter follows, and uh, I would definitely like to hang out with him. Yeah, he does have a very spicy Twitter. Yeah, it's pretty. You should fun. check out uh, Seth Moulton from Massachusetts. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he's a Twitter presence, but um, I feel like he's one of those people that could run for president. So I love him. But yeah, he's, he's also a veteran. He's super cool. But that's my recommendation on who to hang out with. God, it's Seth Moulton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So what do you think that the down ballot effect is going to have an impact? So Tom Wolf and Bob Casey, based off of current polling and stuff, and then their opponents, seem to be incredibly popular candidates in the Pennsylvania level. Do you think that's going to benefit your campaign? Have you done any like events or anything with them? Uh, I have. Um, you know, at, at least appearing at, yeah, at events. Um Especially with Senator Casey, he's really been getting around, and um, Governor Wolf, I'm sure, has too. I just our paths don't overlap as Fetterman's much. Fetterman's doing a lot of his ground. Yeah, that, that's that's yes. true. Uh, and in fact, uh, isn't he coming to? Uh, He'll be here next Wednesday. He'll be here okay, next perfect. Wednesday. If you're listening to this, it is 9:24. Is the no? It's not. It's not 9:24. What day is oh, it? I don't know. What's the today is Thursday the 20th. 19:26. It's 9. Third Wednesday, nine twenty six, eight p.m. in the Willard Building. I don't know what room, but you'll know. You'll, you'll find. But it's super cool. <laughs> you'll event. see him. You'll, you'll see him, out. and you'll see everybody else. Yeah. probably the future lieutenant governor. Cross our fingers. Polling doesn't matter, but he's campaigning super hard. But yeah, from that aside, yeah, I think that's something that's crazy in Pennsylvania right now. Is that when we have Bob Casey and Tom Wolf running the way they are, and they're working so hard at it that I think it'll help a lot of candidates, kind of in the T of Pennsylvania bringing people out where they say, I like these candidates, so I'll vote down ballot as well. Yeah, and certainly that helps, and they've been doing a really good job. And, you know, in the same way that I, I won a, a debate with Marino, I think that Wagner and Barletta are uh, uniquely uh, unlikable, unpopular, uh, untrustworthy figures, and that's probably going to depress Republican turnout, which, as a pure partisan, is maybe a good thing. Um, but I think that there are a lot of Republicans who I think it would support maybe some of those candidates still support President Trump, and, and that's great. I think they would turn out against Tom Marino, and, and I want them to be informed. I want them to care about the election, too. Yeah, definitely. And my thing, too, especially with like Scott Wagner specifically, if you look at his campaign right now, they were Penn State this weekend, like tell you, they're freaking out. Like, <laughs> They're they're mess. all over the state. I saw the lieutenant to... governor at CR uh, last night. I, I went briefly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a packed house, right? I don't want to make fun of them, but yeah, there were not a lot of people there, unfortunately, for them. He was. I don't have like objections to him. Like he seemed actually. Well, Martin yeah, but he's not the governor. But he's not the governor. That's the thing. Yeah. They would be the Republicans would be much better off if he was running for governor than Scott Wagner. Well, what Just I said. The temperament and. General me, I don't want to bring up like state politics, but the thing, so I come from Pittsburgh, north of Pittsburgh. This is my original area. I now live in the city limits when I'm there. But the guy that, he's the state Senate, or state House Majority Leader, Mike Terzai, mm -hmm. he was a possible candidate for Republican candidate for governor in the primary. And he dropped out probably at the behest of his party. But I thought like, here's a guy that I don't like him because of his policy, but I, other people could totally like him. He's like a likable guy. And if he ran, I think Wolf would be in trouble. But with Wagner running... And the things you said and the young and naive thing and climate change isn't real. Did you hear what he said about Governor Wolf in Puerto Rico? No. It was pretty rude. So a while ago, Governor Wolf went down to Puerto Rico to visit because, um, of course, they have still not yet recovered due to the lack of assistance from the federal government after Hurricane Maria. And apparently a quarter of Pennsylvania's Hispanic residents have their roots in Puerto Rico. So it, there are very important ties between our, between our Commonwealth and Puerto Rico. And he went down just to visit. It was not this whole week-long thing. I think he was there for a day or two. And Scott Wagner criticized him for doing that. 
um, because he felt that there were people in Pennsylvania who were also suffering from floods and like other natural disasters and needed help. But why would you say something like that when those people we know are getting help and we know that people in Puerto Rico aren't, but that's what they're grasping at. They're more or less grasping at straws. And even Republicans criticized Wagner for that comment. They were like, that's very offensive and that is not at all the point of your campaign. Yeah, that's a pretty big cell phone, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but whoever's doing the Wagner stand-up cardboard cutouts, uh, they, they do a great job. I see them everywhere. I go to a lot of county fairs. And so I see a lot of life-size cardboard Scott Wagners. Um, yeah. I haven't seen much of the real one, though. Yeah, my, my thing, too, is I don't know why you want a cutout of you places. Like, I, we have a Hillary Clinton cutout in our office, and it is terrifying. I'll oh, be in there late at night, and I'll look over my shoulder, and it's Hillary Clinton staring right at me. And once I swear this happened, her head is kind of bent, because, you know, you yeah. got oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, once yeah. her head was bent back, and I knew that, and then I looked back up, and her head had lifted back up somehow. Like, I think something behind her had shifted and pushed her head back up, and I was like, oh, no. She's unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah. So one thing, another thing I guess to talk about, you, we talk about campaigning, but campaigning in the T specifically when it has all these spares, I'd love to hear your insight into how that works because I feel like it's very unique for the average political campaign to have to visit like these specific groups that you have to get in with. Yeah, it's um, th- there's certainly a lot of fairs. Um, <laughs> they're fun. Um, the I mean, the way that it worked, this might be simple too, but I don't think I knew much about it until I started getting involved, is, is that the, you know, the county um, parties in both, 15 counties, so 30 of them, they'll, they'll get a table, they'll organize it, they'll invite the candidates, and it's just a matter of how long do you want to, you know, how long do you want to or how long can you stay, and you'll get enough traffic coming by, you'll, you'll meet, you know, potentially thousands of voters in a day, and it's a, um, one of the rare times where, um, when there's not a, like a downtown area or people are driving a lot that you'll get huge crowds of people. Yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about, this is more of a hard hitting question. Um, so in the past when you've seen, obviously you were initially slated if you won the primary to run against Glenn Thompson, things have shifted to run against Tom Marino. I think that's definitely beneficial. We've talked about why Marino is uniquely unlikable and Thompson is a partisan, but he's not as, um, I guess, viewed negatively in his own party. Um, so, but in these campaigns, whether it's against Thompson or Marino, the Democratic candidates have kind of lost overwhelmingly. They've faced a lot of um, adversity. So what do you think you're doing differently to kind of fix that issue? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, the main one is, is targeting. Uh, I think we have an incredibly sophisticated uh, sense of which voters are um, persuadable um, and which voters um, need to be turned out to vote, who, you know, who are registered but haven't voted often. Uh, that's really important, and having the direct contact is, is really important. One of the things that, that I'm most proud of, I think, in the campaign is that I have, um, when people of any kind of talent want to step in and, and help the campaign, I try to find a way to empower them to do that, and that saves me money, it saves me a lot of time, and so, you know, that takes a lot of, I'm thinking about, like, my, the, the designer for my campaign, Ben Andrew, he's done Literally anything from the campaign that looks nice from the logo, you know, on up uh, is him. And usually he'll do things even without me asking. And that's fantastic. That is such a load off um, to, you know, my my uh, campaign manager in the primaries, a finance PhD student, wanted to get involved and, and emailed and, and we met and, and it was off from there. And he's still helping out. We were had a conference call last night. Uh, and so empowering people to, you know, to decentralize it is really what it is. Because uh, I certainly can't keep on top of everything. Uh, I think that's been really important. And then to not play, you know, I'm from State College and I, I live near, you know, well, I wasn't born here, but I, I live nearby, I teach for Penn State. But I think that I don't, um, 
I don't think I'd fit the caricature of like what a Penn State professor yeah. you know looks or sounds like. And I think that I think that helps. And I uh, I enjoy talking to voters from everywhere, and I think that that helps too. Another thing that was beneficial to the campaign with that gerrymandering, you know, Tom, or Mark was now facing up against Tom Marino, but to the people in this new district, many of them had not been under Tom Marino before, and he was unfamiliar to them. And that's a good thing, yeah. because they don't have any prior positive association with him, because they most of them hadn't heard of him, or you know, they just didn't put that much, pay that much attention to him because he wasn't their representative. So now when we're going out there and we're talking about him and how he hasn't done very much at all, if anything, to help the people in this district. That is what they hear because they they don't have. There's no incumbency effect, even though he is an incumbent, because he just there's nothing that he's quote unquote done for them before. Yeah, yeah. But I will say in terms of the design, so I've I've canvassed a lot. I mean, I don't want to say a lot, but like once or twice a week recently. And whenever I hand out the little mark flyers, they're like. I don't want to say chrome, but they're like shiny. I feel like they, they just look nice. So yeah, yeah. Ben, it, he's amazing. He's he, so cool. Yeah, I, I, he's he's fast and perfect and creative. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. That's great. That's, I think is he from Penn State? Uh, yeah, he's in the uh, faculty for the School of Visual Arts. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the one good thing about being kind of centered around a university is there's so many people with unique skills that can contribute. So like you said, PhD in finance, where it's like you don't if you're going from anywhere else, you don't maybe have access to just somebody that's like. So hungry, but also has like their own positional talent. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I could give you so many more examples, but another one that just popped in my head is that we worked with um, people from information science and from geography. We did it in the fifth. We haven't done it yet in the twelfth to um, figure out where would be the optimal place for district field offices to have the lowest average drive time for every single constituent. Oh, wow. Like they computed that out. Like if we were going to have three, where would we put them? Uh, and you know, they volunteered their efforts to do that. And that's just one small example. There are so many of them. It's a Penn State's been a, a real blessing for the campaign. I think if you have a campaign driven by real people, volunteers from college and high school, we have high school volunteers are fabulous. Um, but anyway, yeah, if you have a campaign that's run by real people and not from not by consultants from Washington who, you know, have never associated with like a typical American in their life and they have absolutely no idea what normal people want, then your campaign's going to run so much better because you have real people, you can ask them how they feel about things and they have a better sense of how you can target, how you can talk to other people and make sure that you don't sound like this typical annoying politician yeah and and they feel ownership of things mm -hmm. too yes it's not just like you know make this widget it's like you please design the widget build the widget you know sell it uh and do customer service and like they feel like the ownership over it mm -hmm. whether it's you know a particular ad campaign or um a, a type you know a video something like that mm -hmm. like they they do it right yeah. yeah um i don't know what else to talk about now is there anything else you'd like to say well, you know, I think that the the most important thing is, is, is voting, of course. And if anybody's listening, I'm, I'm guessing mostly students are your are your audience. My mom, O'Neill's parents. <laughs> they don't listen. Uh, O'Neill's people. I don't know. My mom listens. Maybe my sister I listens. Don't I don't know. Well, hello. Uh, <laughs> really, it's a um, uh, you know, is it 46? I think days today. Uh, I didn't check this morning. Um, like and I've lost track, but the um, most important thing is to vote, but then to volunteer again. Anybody go to markforpa.com slash volunteer or come on by Fitness Row 240 West Hamilton Avenue uh, and we can we can use your help and your talent and it would be, uh, you know, be, be part of the winning team and be, be with the good guys. Yeah, definitely. I want to give a similar message. The deadline to register to vote for everyone in Pennsylvania to vote in this election is so crucial. Is October 6th is the deadline. 9th. 
six nine get it messed up all the time do it today do it today i was registering voters in class today it's a great time but register to vote next week in the hub if you're listening students there's going to be people from the college democrats from student government from naacp from other groups i'm not going to mention and give publicity to um <laughs> across campus but we're going to be registering voters come register to vote bring your friends out we'll send them all in you can vote in the hub or whatever vote here vote locally uh vote for mark and volunteer if you have time it's a great enjoyable experience i would say um, but yeah there's nothing else to discuss on the podcast this has been a great podcast. I hope you have a great day. My name is Tom Sarabach. I am the Executive Vice President of College Democrats again, and I'm here with... Mark Friedenberg for Pennsylvania's 12th. Yes. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys.